this is Film Festival Reviews. My name is Christina Kotlar, your host, uh, having a conversation with Eric Nadler of Transformer Films. Eric is one of the producers and screenwriters of To Be The Era of Flesh Is Over, a film that had its world premiere at Woodstock Film Festival and one that became the talk of the festival because of a fascinating panel discussion, Redesigning Humanity, The New Frontier, with Ray Kurzweil, Martine Rothblatt, and Wendell Wallach, moderated by James Hughes. The discussion covered artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, genetic engineering, and transhumanism, often described as a dangerous idea threatening the very essence of humanity, but others are saying that this will save humanity. As the logline reads, it takes place soon, one foot in the present and another foot in an almost unimaginable future. Uh, I had a lot of thinking about this one and really needed to percolate a little bit. I use that word only because I can't think about things right away. It comes into my head in a dream and Usually my best ideas come just when I'm waking up in the morning, like at five o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning. Things are really starting to come through, uh, everything that's been processed from the night before. It's just too much going on, so I really need that time for it to sink in and figure out what I really think about it. Uh, listening in on things again, I have other opinions. So listen in on this conversation with Eric Nadler and enjoy the show. Eric, I was at the uh, the panel at first because I heard about to be I didn't hear a lot about it, but it intrigued me. And so I knew that was one of the the films that I wanted to see. And then when I do podcasts, when I do these you know, conversations, I always like to see the film first or, or get a little more grip on reality. And I know the film was going to be later and I was trying to set something up, but I'm glad I saw the film and the panel, the panel first. I don't know if it should have been reversed because there were so many questions afterwards. Tell me how you got started, or just give me a, a brief overview of what your your log line is, because I'm reading what was printed, and I have a different log line, so go ahead. Okay, I mean, I think your experience uh, in which the uh, information uh, came before the movie mirrored my own experience. Uh, basically, I run a film company in Brooklyn, New York, called Transformer Films, and I had come across this phenomenon uh, on my radar screen called transhumanism. Uh, which fascinated me, and uh, basically uh, discussed that the emerging technologies of artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, and genetic engineering was bringing uh, humanity closer to another evolutionary step, uh, one in which it was possible uh, to merge in very short order, it seems, uh, with the machine intelligence that we are creating. And this, to me, seemed like a transformative major event and if you go on the internet and you punch in transhumanism, boom, the universe explodes. And uh, I saw that there was a uh, something called Transvision 2005, which is back in 2005, which was going to be a world congress of transhumanists meeting in Caracas, Venezuela. 
So I took my little PD-150 camera down there to begin preliminary shooting on a documentary. Uh, I still have a PD-150. I love those cameras. Yeah, so. Very good. Actually, we used it last night to help us uh, stream the event uh, panel. So when I was there in Caracas, I listened to many fascinating speeches, many along the lines of the panel that was uh, convened here. And in fact, one of the panelists, uh, Martin Rothblatt, who appeared uh, here at Woodstock, was uh, one of the panelists down in Caracas that interested me the most. Uh, her remarks about uh, cyber consciousness and about the evolving legal rights of these uh, new um, entities that uh, we'll be seeing in the future. It's interesting you didn't call them beings, because I know you were just about to say that. I was about to say creatures, beings, entities, I mean... Whatever you want to call it, it's, it's another evolutionary step. At some level, it's going to be the merging of uh, biological creatures with machine creatures, carbon-based creatures with silicon-based intelligence. It'll be a synthesis of, um, of structures that are out there. And it's this type of uh, conversation that uh, Martine uh, conducted down in uh, Caracas that led me to do a personal interview with her, a follow-up. And then afterwards, I learned that she was uh, quite an accomplished uh, entrepreneur in her own right. Um, she was the uh, founder of uh, Satellite Sirius, Sirius Satellite Radio, which is an uh, achievement in a lifetime enough. But then at one point, one of her daughters contracted a serious disease called pulmonary hypertension. And uh, she studied um, biology and uh, founded a... Um, uh, biotechnology company called United Therapeutics to essentially develop a cure for this condition, and she did. And basically, um, that company is uh, widely traded on the stock exchange and is considered a successful uh, pillar of the uh, biotechnology community. She's also a lawyer. And she's, uh, she began her uh, life as a lawyer, and she also began her life as uh, Martin Rothblatt. Um, she used to be um, a male and uh, had uh, transgender uh, procedures, and she's now Martine Rothblatt. And one thing she said down in Caracas, which summed her up for me, she said, uh, transhumanism is the wave of the future, and transgender, transsexualism, uh, is the, uh, the surfers on that wave. So she became a very interesting uh, personage uh, to me, and she was very much interested in the work uh, that we were doing on a documentary on transhumanism, and uh, we worked out a uh, relationship for her to executive produce a documentary film on uh, transhumanism. I brought uh, Richard Crowling uh, on board, a, a friend, a collaborator for Longstanding, a really gifted uh, film director who had experience, extensive experience in feature film. And as we crafted the documentary, more and more feature film elements began to uh, creep into it. And so we had this hybrid uh, piece of business uh, that was very interesting. And Ray Kurzweil was uh, another member of the panel was going to be our central uh, figure in the uh, documentary. After working closely with Ray, um, it was decided that we were going to go to full feature mode, and uh, Ray was going to do his own documentaries, which uh, actually has uh, uh, one uh, called The Singularity is Near, which I believe has just been completed, and there was a documentary about him called Terminal Man. He was sitting behind me in the screening, and he was, you know, just... Uh away at his computer, of course it's a little bit bigger than the one that he was talking about, the pocket-sized one, and the exponentiality of um, technology that's going on right now and how it's just exploding. And again, these things, I mean, people can't catch up. They're onto something and it's already passe or they're behind. And I think the overall feeling from the panel yesterday was awe, but also this 
fear, you know, that uh, things are going to be rolling down the hill so fast you can't, that they're snowballing and they're rolling and you can't catch it. Uh, Ray is uh, one of the godfathers of uh, transhumanism. Uh, his books are uh, bestsellers and um, he has uh, quite a following, uh, especially in places like the computer departments at Stanford and MIT and such as that. He's a great inventor. He's a hands-on type guy. He's done all kinds of work in uh, uh, assisting the blind to see and um, also in music uh, synthesizers. And a lot of Ray's thoughts have influenced Martine and uh, uh, through Martine influenced our film. His notion that technological growth is exponential is crucial to his vision. In other words, when we think of what the world will be like 40 years from now, we intuitively think in a linear pattern. Okay, maybe we won't have flying cars, but we'll have something close to that. The world will look close to what we imagine it. Ray, in looking at things like computer power and the spread of cell phones and Moore's Law, which shows that um, things are growing at a fast rate and getting cheaper all the time, um, that 40 years of growth won't be linear, but will be equal to about 20,000 years of growth. And that means technological growth, and specifically information technology. And as Ray said at the panel, he believes uh, human life on some level can be boiled down to an information technology model. Now, once you start talking like that, that scares a real lot of people. And there is a big debate that's coming. Uh, I think it's the elephant in the room, and it's one of the reasons that we made this movie, to jumpstart the conversation. There are uh, people like Ray and Martine who see this uh, coming transformation and embrace it and say that this will be good for uh, not only a species but for the coming consciousness that emerges uh, on the planet and beyond, basically. There are those, uh, like noted environmental writer uh, Bill McKibben, who's a great uh, thinker, um, is a humanist, and has written a book called Enough, uh, which basically argues uh, against this coming transformation and urges strict regulation, if not outright banning, of the uh, research and scientific innovation that might bring this about. So on one level, you have kind of leftist environmentalist humanists are upset about this, and just starting now is the churches are beginning to sniff out this uh, coming development. Because if you merge humankind with machines, and then you enter into a kind of virtual reality existence, you really have achieved a form of immortality. And once you get immortality, a major raison d'etre for organized religion is removed. I mean, organized religion is wonderful for uh, moral codes and ethical codes and how we live our lives, the Ten Commandments, etc. But ultimately, it's all about dealing with uh, our uh, fear uh, of mortality. And basically, uh, it's a comfort to imagine the afterlives or the next step that uh, these uh, traditional religions uh, promise. Many people say that the Kurzweilian view of transhumanism is in itself another utopian dream, another utopian religion, another sort of afterlife. Uh, instead of going to heaven and wearing white flowing robes and having wings or what have you, or being reincarnated as an insect. You're going to uh, have a mind file. You'll have so. a mind file and you'll live in a virtual reality uh, paradise um, that expands uh, consciousness throughout the universe. In many ways, that's a religious view. That's some critique. But all I'm uh, suggesting is that there is going to be uh, a, a debate that's going to go about the regulations of these technologies, the limits of these technologies, and the potentialities of these technologies. And uh, our film, 
uh, is a, I basically call it an entertainment uh, designed to jumpstart this conversation. And we're not alone. It's happening. Um, Hollywood just released Surrogates with Bruce Willis. But I'm glad you said that about the entertainment. Uh, the panel scared quite a few people, you know, afterwards. It, it kind of sends a chill. But it's like science fiction that has done that in the past. Ursula K. Le Guin, Left Hand of Darkness. That's a long time ago, but that's about transgender, you know, flipping in and out uh, from male to female. But uh, just getting back to the audience, there was a lot of conversation afterwards, and a lot of stuff was going through my head as well. And then seeing the film, seeing things from Blade Runner, you know, coming through, and, and here we are. We're at the verge here. The Times Square looked like what, you know, Ridley Scott thought of 25 years ago when, you know, it was still just down and dirty. It is entertainment. It is it's not to fear uh, that people just get scared of what the future may hold, what the future may bring. And the future is here because, as you're saying, the chips are in people's brains already to control disease. Uh, disease, some form, has been eradicated or controlled because of these advances. And we are embracing this. So I think it's very smart to, you know, come out with something. And it was entertaining. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed seeing that media come through, pace a bit, you know, kind of the darkness. And, and the music was really comforting because that brought that human touch yeah. to that entire film. We were very lucky to have the score done by the late Michael Golasso, who just passed away uh, recently, uh, much to everyone's sadness. And... Uh, Michael has done uh, great um, classical work and avant-garde uh, work. He worked with Robert Wilson. He's also done um, operas, uh, modern versions of operas scored uh, for uh, European and Scandinavian festivals, etc. But he's very human, a spirit within that music. And, you know, as we were thinking of the score for this film, you could use electronic music, use electronica, you could use about, we sampled music, what they call music of the future. But it was cold, and in some ways, what we had to balance in this film is really what I think the culture is going to have to balance, which is um, the human side of the equation with the technological side. So the technological side um, is depicted as you know, the scary technology as a real possibility. And so anything we could do to humanize the rest of the film, such as the score that I'm glad came through to you is a very uh, comforting uh, piece of business. That was useful. Also, I think the central character, Clayton Conroy, played by uh, the wonderful Kevin uh, Corrigan, uh, is a stand-in for uh, all of us. In other words... Uh, I love that. The rogue blogger. That's me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's it. And, you know, basically, that's, you know, this film, we say, it takes place soon. In other words, there's, this film has one step, one foot in the present, one foot in an almost unimaginable future. But on some levels, people have to begin to start imagining it. And uh, Kevin is a fellow who has to take a voyage, um, being a, a cynic and a critic of this uh, technology uh, to begin with, and then um, playing a very important role in perhaps um, uh, pushing the, the message uh, forward. And that's really his journey uh, in the film. And so we have a, a main character that I think many, many uh, in the audience can identify with, 
uh, watching uh, him interact with the other main characters of the film, which is a, uh, you know, mad or inspired scientist, and uh, the world's first uh, transbeeman, which is this artificial intelligence creation, which has one foot in biology and one foot in um, uh, silicon. And so the film uh, allows you to identify with the human point of view and allows you to put yourself in that position, uh, which audiences must be. Um, how are we going to deal uh, with these uh, coming events. On the periphery, we deal with the justice system, how they might deal with it. The state is going to look down upon uh, this to a certain extent. And um, the news media, given the 24-7 news cycle, which only will intensify, I believe this is an issue that won't be here one moment and then will be on the lips uh, of everyone, cover of Time magazine or Time blog or whatever, the next. And uh, just as we can hardly remember today a world without uh, getting up in the morning, putting on the computers and Googling the news, we won't be able to remember a world where this transhumanism debate wasn't uh, the background chatter of our lives. And uh, uh, this film is designed to uh, tell people uh, this is happening and uh, get used to it. As a writer, the story, the characters, the traditional characters. You have the, the male scientist creating this beautiful young woman and the father-daughter. It's kind of like the Frankenstein. Then you have the women that are coming after and putting a stop to this. Is that something that was thought about because there were human women saying, wait a minute, you know, we don't want this to go on because uh, what about the procreation aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, consciously or unconsciously, um, it was meant. I mean, the uh, question of uh, the, the scientist and his creation and the infantilization of their dialogue, she calls him daddy a lot, and she thinks in terms of fairy tales. You know, she was programmed by this fellow to do that. I mean, there's a hint of uh, something un clean about their relationship, perhaps, an incestuous thing, perhaps. Um, Clay at one point asked if he was having sex with her. That's pretty outrageous. But that's all part of it. I mean, these characters, at least the scientists, can be seen as multidimensional. On one level, he's a, uh, you know, Bill Gates, brilliant uh, entrepreneur character. We have him playing the guitar. He's a rock musician. Uh, when he appears on his global mesh cast to uh, address his great uh, consumer network out there, uh, he gives a speech that's uh, religious, uh, evangelical, uh, mad at times. Uh, he's a believer in technology, he's a believer in progress. He may be insane, uh, he may be the sanest one of us all. So he's a complex piece of uh, business. And uh, her too, uh, the transbeaming is multidimensional. I mean, Jane Kim gave a great performance in that at some points uh, in the film, uh, she appears uh, deadly cold, almost uh, unhuman. At other points in time, extremely vulnerable. At other points in time, she appears old and wise. At other points, she appears um, young, defenseless, uh, very emotional. That's like a little girl uh, might seem in similar situations. Is she programmed that way? Has the biological side of her urged that upon and dominated the silicon side of her at moments of time when they interact? It's all part of it. I don't know. And then, of course, Clay, he faces the conundrum of uh, he's a human faced with firsthand, placed in his lap. I don't want to give the film away, but at one point in time, he may be carrying the future of humanity 
uh, on his shoulders, uh, which is quite a burden for a fellow with a lot of uh, character flaws, flaws that which we can all identify with, uh, careerism that's stalled, uh, obvious substance abuse problems, uh, problems uh, with relationships, professional setbacks. So even though these are traditional uh, characters, uh, they're multidimensional. The more we show this film and the more we talk to uh, audiences, members like yourselves, and we get a spectrum of reactions to the characters and to the film, we know we've done our job because uh, what's clearly coming out here is this is a film that people see, want to think about, want to discuss, and the richest experience we've found is people who watch it again. In other words, this film does throw a lot of new ideas at uh, you. Richard is a kind of an avant-garde filmmaker, so a lot of traditional narrative flows are played with, though ultimately they're adhered to in traditional three-act structure. So um, there's a lot to take in upon first viewing, and the way people view movies nowadays, especially the younger generation, my kids are 25 and 21, I mean, they keep popping in the computer, they watch their favorite scenes, and they memorize the lines. So movies are sometimes watched from A to Z. A lot of times they're fragmented and they, favorite scenes are watched. And uh, I think this film lends itself very well to re uh, repeated viewings, fragmented viewings, and just the way we absorb cinema today. Well, I found it to be almost episodic, as you were saying. Kind of, I it could see it as web episodes. The writing is great. The dialogue is real. So I, I look for that all the time. Uh, and you did get a reaction from the audiences, and I think uh, in the appropriate places, because that's what everybody looks for. That's what everybody's waiting for. Now, all this stuff that's going on, how did you come to this ending? I mean, I wouldn't have been able to end it right there, well, and I, I was a little... I don't um, want to give away the ending. No, no, no. Viewers, but it was but, a, yeah. but let's just say that um, the, the ending is left... I've heard the words uh, unresolved, I've heard the words uh, ambiguous, and... Um, Which is very appropriate for this type of film. Right, and, you know, stay tuned for the sequel, you know, uh, To Beyond the Resurrection, or something like that. But aside from crass commercial considerations of sequels and such, which are always pipe dreams until they take place, everything is theoretically impossible until it's done. As we start the film with, I think it was just the, the only place you could end a film about an unimaginable future without having to depict an unimaginable future. And uh, the only people in cinema who should try to depict an unimaginable future are those who have unimaginable amounts of money. And uh, that is something we did not have the uh, luxury to do. So from a production point of view and also a script point of view, where we left it made sense for us. And uh, I think it's uh, defensible and, in fact, um, I think it's admirable on many levels, but uh, I'd love to have this discussion after people have seen the film, and then we can discuss it even further. And in fact, in the question and answer period here at Woodstock last night, that did come up, and I thought uh, Richard Crowling, our director, uh, speaking from the heart, uh, really answered it uh, quite well, and uh, I'll leave it at that without giving anything away. I was very excited when I got out. Those are the kind of films that I love to go see, because afterwards you just can't go home and what I did afterwards I, I came here for the ukulele concert because it's just so 
human with the music and everybody's playing with the ukulele and they're singing along and one of the songs that came up was Que Sera Sera, whatever will be, will be. <laughs> <laughs> it was very appropriate. But to have your world premiere here at Woodstock, it, was, it just seems perfect. I mean, the audience actually had to go out and, and do a reassessment, but very open-minded. Was that your thoughts when you were planning for the world premiere? That's true. I mean, uh, Woodstock is the perfect place uh, to begin a discussion about the human future. Uh, it's a place that's uh, synonymous in our culture with um, uh, the age of Aquarius, uh, optimism, but something that's open-minded and willing to engage in a serious uh, thought, uh, some of the concepts we uh, brought here. We wanted to reach people who are willing to enjoy the film uh, for the film, but to enjoy the conversation and the thoughts that the film explores. And to many people, this is going to be the first time that these issues are brought to the dinner table or the public square to discuss. It's an excuse to get this out on the table. And, you know, it's an 86-minute piece of business, uh, which, just to finish an original screenplay thought, the original thing was to take the difficult scientific concepts behind this film and the difficult moral and philosophical questions it raises and merge it with what I call a law and order episode. Law and Order is the most comforting, popular entertainment in the world today. You're in an airplane, you're in a hotel room. No matter what's happening in your life, you hear those three music beats, bum, 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 and you know what's coming on. You know exactly that at the 22-minute mark, they got the bad guy, and now we're gonna go, he's going to get arraigned in court, then there's going to be courtroom scene, then he's going to be found guilty or not guilty, then the DAs are going to say, ah, that was a rough day in court today, and they're out of there. So it's a very comforting formula. So the idea was to bring a comforting formula to difficult concepts and get people engaged enough to uh, have the conversation. And we're really pleased that the conversation uh, is happening here in Woodstock. You and I are talking about it. We're sitting here in Woodstock talking about it. You and your rogue blog are going to go out in the world. And, um, and I it's love happening. the streaming video that was going out. You had 600 people just talking about it during the, the streaming, during the panel. That was a very exciting time. And, and that panel is, uh, if you go to www.2bmovie.com, you can get the whole panel. It's still it's streaming forever on our website. So basically the I'm conversation... I'm going to have to hear it again. Yeah, the conversation uh, continues. And even that panel was very interesting, even though Ray Kurzweil and Martine Rothblatt, two leading proponents of this coming transformation, it was balanced by a brilliant Yale professor, uh, Wendell Wallach, who uh, heads a big program there on uh, bioethics and has written a book about uh, moral robots, um, voicing his concerns about heading into this future without the proper safeguards and without thinking uh, through many of the issues. And uh, we embrace uh, Wendell's uh, thoughts as well. Uh, our position, if we as filmmakers have an official position, is um, the, the future is coming, let's uh, deal with it in as responsible, in as effective, in a safe uh, way as possible. Whether that's possible, I don't know. Uh, let's see what happens. It's going to happen no matter what. I had to think about it overnight and really let it percolate before I was able to do this conversation. So people were buzzing about it afterwards, saying that that was the best panel so far. And it, creating that conversation, other than that, I think 
you know, people would have had too many thoughts in their heads that they couldn't express or couldn't hear what is really out there because that was the first time I really heard the pros and cons and everything and I'm, I want to thank you so much for taking the time here and having your coffee in this great place and, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Thank you very much. And great. then I could email you and we could talk more maybe. Let's keep, let's keep the conversation going. Thanks. Okay, my pleasure. Okay. This was quite a ride. I'm still thinking about this one, but I have become much more in tune with how my mind works and computes. All the time I wonder what it would be like to really have these carbon-based creatures with silicon-based intelligence, the synthesis, these structures, wireframes, you know, it's all these things that we're coming up with new description, word descriptions for artificial AI, artificial intelligence. This is all that's going on right now. In any case, check out the web streaming panel discussion on 2bmovie.com and let's get that discussion going because I still want to talk more about this and on www.filmfestivalreviews.com. I would love to hear what people are talking about and what they're thinking. So, until next time, thanks for listening.